Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is um, Saturday, Sabbath or Shabbat, for those who are aware that they must keep the day holy and fellowship with other like-minded believers according to the teachings of the Torah or the doctrines and laws of God. Today I'm going to talk about a very important topic. I really feel that this is being neglected, not just in the United States but around the world. The concept or idea of fellowship is very important that the believers, the true believers of Elohim or or God fellowship together now what is fellowship I want to begin this Bible study with quoting uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 to 25 Hebrews chapter 10 24 to 25 And I'm going to quote this as I tend to do for those who are familiar with listening to my program. I do quote from other versions because I don't believe that there's only one version to go by. The King James Version is the only version and so forth. Uh, That's certainly not true, even though the King James Version is a pretty good translation of the original manuscripts um, into English from the Texas Reptus uh, text. But that's another Bible study. But anyway, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24, states in the complete Jewish Bible version, And let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Verse 25, Not neglecting our own congregational meetings or assemblies, as some have made a practice of doing. So they were doing that even back in the first century. is much worse today. But rather encouraging each other. And let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. Of course, he's talking about the day of the Lord. Because in verse 26, he states, For if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth. What is truth, folks? 
truth is God's words. is revealed in John 17, verse 17. Thy word is truth. We must live by every word of God in Matthew 4, verse 4. And Psalm 119, verse 142, states the Torah, or the teachings of God, is the truth. So that is the truth. So in verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 10, For if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, if you know what you're doing, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Of course, the sacrifice for sins was Yeshua or Jesus dying for all of mankind. Verse 27, but only the terrifying prospect of judgment, of raging fire that will consume the enemies. And he states here in verse 28, someone who disregards the Torah or the teachings of Moshe, which is God's teachings because God gave it to Moses, is put to death without mercy on the word of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, now consider this. Think how much worse will be the punishment deserved by someone who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has treated as something common the blood of the covenant which made him holy, and who has insulted the spirit giver of God's grace or favor. So, in verse 30, he says, For the one we know is the one who said, Vengeance is my responsibility, I will repay. And then said Adonai, which means Lord in Hebrew, would judge his people. In verse 31, it is a terrible or terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we you don't you want to obey him once you understand how to obey him, you better obey him because if you don't then uh, you will be consumed. That's what this is saying here. And then in, in in verse 24 is telling us to to keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. In verse 25, not neglecting our own congregational meetings, as some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other, and let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. This is very interesting that Elohim inspired Shaul or Paul, who wrote the book of Hebrews, despite what people think, um, inspiring him to talk about the lack of fellowship and the lack of spurring each other onto love and good deeds in the context of <laughs> hellfire and the day of the Lord. So this is how serious Elohim or God takes this, folks. Fellowship. We must. It's a commandment for us to assemble. I know some preacher was preaching that you don't have to assemble on the Sabbath. I don't know where he got that teaching from, but that's another false teaching of the many that I hear and that Yeshua has prophesied about in Matthew Chapter 24, when he states that there will be many false prophets, many false prophets in the end time. People either predicting the future or teaching incorrectly, because a prophet also teaches. All right, so let's get into detail here. Now, the, the Greek word for fellowship in the King James, I'm going to go back to the King James Version here. And the Greek word for fellowship which is translated Congregational Meetings in Stern's version, uh, the complete Jewish Bible version. Or assembling ourselves together. Well, actually, the, there's not even a word for fellowship there, but the concept is there. Um, fellowship, let me uh, find that word here, and then because uh, it means the same thing. A fellowship is when you socialize with each other.
So I'm going to use uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And that word fellowship, that's where we get it from, the Bible. Uh, according to Strong's, uh, it's pronounced um, koinonia, koinonia. Koinonia, that's in the Greek. I mean, that was translated fellowship, but it's also translated in other words, too, uh, in the King James, and I'm going to go over it. It's pretty interesting. It means partnership, and it means participation or social intercourse. Communication, communion, distribution. So that's what this word means, fellowship. Now, to go into detail, I'm going to use the Word Study Bible, the Word Study Book, rather. And it states here it means participation, communion, fellowship. And so I started with the first verse that they quote, which is Acts 2, verse 42. I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. It says, they continued faithfully in the teaching of the missionaries, which means apostles in Hebrew, and fellowship, and breaking bread, and in prayers. So fellowship can involve having a meal together, and talking, and spending time with each other. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. Not only are we to fellowship with other believers, we should also be fellowshipping spiritually with Elohim and his mighty son, Yeshua. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. God is trustworthy. It was he who called you into fellowship with his son, Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing over which we make the, uh, let me uh, read this in the easier version here for you to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of, of Christ? So we know that that word can mean participation or fellowship. All right, so he's talking about uh the Passover meal in this context, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So those symbols in the Passover uh, meal symbolizes that. Okay? So that's another example, again, on how we, we fellowship. And this can also mean the cup of wine used in, in the uh, the Lord's Supper, which was similar to a Passover meal when you analyze that as well. Okay. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Now, this is a key verse, and I want you to pay attention to this one because this is the antithesis or the opposite of fellowship, the wrong type of fellowship, which unfortunately some believers allow themselves to be a part of. Second uh, Corinthians chapter six verse fourteen: Do not yoke yourselves together in a team with unbelievers, for how can righteousness and lawlessness be partners? What fellowship does light have with darkness? And 
what harmony can there be between Messiah and Belial? Okay, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? These these are some hard verses for some people, I think, to absorb or, or to understand. But God means exactly what he means here, folks. And to even break it down further, he's comparing the people of God to his temple and the people that aren't of God to idols. In verse 16, what agreement can there be between the temple of God, which of course is God's people in this context, and idols, which of course is not God's people, people who don't believe? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will house myself in them and I will walk among you. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, Adonai the Lord says, and this is serious, folks, go out from their midst, separate yourselves, don't even touch what is unclean. So he's telling you don't even touch people, unless, of course, you have to work with them, you know, but outside of work, you don't associate yourselves with them and you don't yoke with them because they're unbelievers. They're like idols to, to, to you. That's according to the scripture. They're like an unclean thing. It says, therefore, Adonai says, go out from their midst, separate yourselves, don't even touch what is unclean. Then I myself will receive you. So if you don't follow this instruction that he tells you, not to be around people that obviously don't obey the teachings of God, then he's not going to receive you. Verse 18, In fact, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says Adonai. Okay, so he's not going to be your father if you don't separate yourselves from unbelievers. Okay, and there's another scripture I'm going to quote too about this. It states, and see, many people don't know what the doctrine, and I, I'm going to do a series of Bible studies here. I did it before, but I'm really, my knowledge is increasing as it tends to do with anything you do. If you, you continue to study something, you get more knowledgeable about it. And so I'm going to um, give a series of Bible studies on the basic doctrines of Elohim or God or Yeshua. And then what I'm going to do is write from these Bible studies, I'm going to write a PDF document that I'm going to offer free on my website to distribute to as many people as possible so they can understand what the basic doctrines of God are because I know that most people don't understand the basics. And when you don't understand the basics, you can't understand every, anything else. In order to get the meat, you have to, to get the milk. And unfortunately, in these end times, a lot of people don't have not even been fed the milk. And they don't understand the doctrines of God because of that unfortunately and uh, let me find this other scripture here and I've learned this over the years uh, that the basic doctrines of God and my how many I've been studying the Bible since I was uh, 18 years old so I'm 46 now so it's been quite a, a long time uh, 28 years that I've been studying the Bible and I'm still learning and it states here, and this is important, folks, um, what I'm about to quote you here. In Second John 1, verse 9. 2 John 1, verse 9. It says, Everyone who goes ahead and does not remain true to what the Messiah has taught does not have God. And that's, that's a serious statement, folks, but <laughs> that's very serious. Those who remain true to his teaching have both the Father and the Son. If someone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, 
don't welcome him into we're not even supposed to welcome people into our homes if they don't believe all the teachings and words of God. If someone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't welcome him into your home. Don't even say shalom to him. Don't even say peace. Verse 11, for the person who does say shalom to him shares in his evil deeds. Okay, so we have to be careful and we can't associate ourselves with people and attach ourselves to people who obviously don't want to obey God or accept Yeshua's teachings. So, you know, that's very important to understand. So, we must not fellowship, again, with people that obviously show by their actions that they do not like God and don't don't like Yeshua. As plain and simple as that, folks. And unfortunately, I know believers do that. They, they want a fellowship with someone so bad that they overlook that they don't believe major doctrines. I'm not talking about the minor stuff. I'm talking about the major stuff. Like some may believe, hey, it's okay to commit adultery. That's major, folks. <laughs> um is is okay not to believe all of God's words uh, when He's plain. He's He's really telling you something plain. I mean, th- these are things that you're going to have to make up your mind and realize. Hey, I can't keep on playing these games with folks and, and and pretending that I believe or accept their their obvious unbelief in something when that unbelief, of course, would cause harm to other people that they perhaps may fellowship with and, and teach. And then in Romans 16, verse 17, says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put snares along the teaching in which you have been trained. Keep away from them. And verse 18, so for men like these are not serving our Lord the Messiah, but their own belly, in other words, you know, money's probably involved in it as well. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the innocent. All right, so you, you want to stay away from people that cause division. Because that's not of God. That's not of God uh, when someone is causing division. And then also in in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. It says, Now in the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, we command you, brothers, to stay away from any brother who is leading a life of idleness, in other words, lazy, a life not in keeping with the tradition you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you must imitate us, that we are not idle when we were among you. We did not accept anyone's food without paying. On the contrary, we labored and toiled day and night, working so as not to be a burden to any of you. It was not that we hadn't a right to be supportive, but so that we could make ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, if someone won't work, he shouldn't eat. We hear that some of you are leading a life of idleness, not busy working, just busybodies. We command such people, and in union with the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, we urge them to settle down, get to work, and earn their own living. And you brothers who are doing what is good, don't slack off. It says, furthermore, if anyone does not obey what we are saying in this letter, take note of him and have nothing to do with him, so that he will be ashamed. But don't consider him an enemy. On the contrary, confront him as a brother and try to help him change. Okay, so we're not to associate with people that are obviously lazy, don't want to work, 
and you know that that's not that's not a good example, not one to work, folks. Now, in First Timothy chapter six, verse three. So I must cover this because we ha- I have to cover the antithesis or the opposite of of fellowship, which is uh, not fellowshipping. So to understand the whole concept of fellowship here. Now, First Timothy chapter six, verse three. If anyone teaches differently and does not agree to the sound principles of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and to the doctrine that is in keeping with godliness, he is swollen with conceit and understands nothing. Instead, he has a morbid desire for controversies and word battles, which, unfortunately, we have an issue with that today in the Messianic movement with trying to pronounce uh, Elohim's or God's name or Yahweh or Yehovah's name properly. No one knows the proper pronunciation of his name. So we need to stop it with all this foolishness. It says, instead, he has a morbid desire for controversies and word battles out of which come jealousy, dissension, insults, and evil suspicions. And that exactly <laughs> describes the problem, one of the major problems of the Messianic uh, movement today, is, is that they get into all this, you have to pronounce his name right. Uh, you have to call, call on his name for miracles and, and all that. you know. And, and it's just, that's incorrect teaching, because Psalm 105 verse 1 says, says when you call upon his name, you uh, let me just uh, hold your place here in First Timothy chapter six verse three, and let's turn to um, Psalm one hundred five verse one. It says, "Give thanks to Adonai, call on his name, make his deeds known among the people." So when you call upon his name, you're really making his deeds known among the people. And, and the third commandment. Uh, when it says don't use his name in vain, you can use his name in vain by saying you're a believer and not doing what a believer should do, not doing the works that God would do. So you're using his name, you're representing him, and you're not doing what he would do. So that's dishonoring his name when you do that. All right, so go back to uh, yes, go back to First Timothy chapter six verse three. So anyway, a person that doesn't want to obey Yeshua, like, and you know, if this person's listening, uh, I got to preach the truth, and you know, that that's the way it is, you know. But you have people that's bashing Paul, saying that Paul uh, was a thirteenth apostle, um, which is true, and that uh, he is people that are doubting his teachings, which came from the Lord Yeshua, and. That's not right. That's, that's just not right. I must speak out against that. And that's not right to bash Paul. And see, the devil has a lot to do with that because if he can get anyone to doubt Paul, Paul wrote a lot of the apostolic scriptures. And if he can get anyone to doubt Paul, <laughs> that individual is not going to really understand all the words of the Bible. And they're not going to understand the message of Yeshua. And they're not going to understand the major doctrines of Elohim. They are not, which means God. Elohim means God. All right, so First Timothy 6, verse 4. Instead, he has a morbid desire for controversies and word battles out of which come jealousy, dissension, insults, and evil suspicions, and constant wrangling among people whose minds no longer function properly. Now, this is interesting. <laughs> God is saying through Shaul or Paul that there's something wrong with your mind if you don't believe the doctrines of God or Yeshua, because they're the same, because he, he only tells you what the Father's told him to tell you. 
First Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, and constant wrangling among people whose minds no longer function properly and who have been deprived of the truth so that they imagine that religion is a road to riches. <laughs> now, true religion does bring great riches, but only to those who are content with what they have. And it says, for we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So if we have food and clothing, we will be satisfied with these. And it says, furthermore, those whose goal is to be rich fall into temptation. They get trapped in many foolish and hurtful ambitions, which plunge them into ruin and destruction. And you probably have heard this scripture before. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all evils. Because of this craving, some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves to the heart with many pains. Okay, so we got to understand here that part of not fellowshipping correctly is to embrace people that obviously don't believe in the doctrines of God. They doubt Paul. It's different if somebody is willing to be corrected and say, okay, I, I doubt Paul, but explain to me, why you don't doubt Paul? Maybe I'm wrong about this. That's different. I mean, it's no wrong, nothing wrong with fellowshipping with someone like that. But, but if people just have a outright dogmatic attitude about Paul, and, and and they're so sure that Paul is false and he's teaching false, and that he's not a servant of God, then you, you're going to have to stay away from those folks if they continue to to act that way. If they're open-minded to be corrected, it's different. But if they're not open-minded to be corrected, and if they're really 100% sure that they think Paul was uh, forged and uh, somebody put him in the Bible, then that you got to stay away from those folks. And they've got some serious issues. So uh, we got we got to really be careful as believers who we associate with. And then, you know, right here, and uh, let me uh, quote the scripture here if I can find it here. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15. It states, uh, Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, whether we spoke them or wrote them in a letter. So it's telling, and all these epistles, these epistles are letters. And, it's, and this scripture commands us to take hold to the traditions that were taught by us, whether we spoke them or wrote them in a letter. So all the scriptures of the Bible are to be taken seriously, including the apostolic scriptures. And if you don't take that, take it seriously, and if you know of people that don't take it seriously, um, you need to stay away from them, according to what the scriptures state here. So, it's, it's, and I'm talking about saying things like, hey, I don't believe Paul. I mean, Paul is almost... It's quite a bit of the New Testament, folks. It's quite a bit of the apostolic scriptures. And for them not to believe Paul, I mean that, that that's that's really serious. And let's let's go over here real quickly what the major doctrines of God are, because I, I don't think a lot of people know that is listed in the in the Bible. And, and first, uh, let me go to Hebrews chapter five and, and read the verses leading up to this. So in Hebrews 5, verse 11, he's talking about the subject with uh, Yeshua being, it says, since we have been proclaimed by God as a coin gadol to be compared. Well, let me read this in an easier version here. He's, t he's talking about Yeshua, it says right here, uh, being compared to Melchizedek. 
And then he stated here in verse 11, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, which means understanding in, 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 in a Hebraic type of understanding. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So he's saying if you just have the milk, you're, you're unskilled. You're not capable of teaching. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And here are the basic doctrines of Christ or God, because that's where Christ got the teachings from, his father. Hebrews 6, verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. So that's the first doctrine, repentance of dead works. The second doctrine is faith toward God or trust in God. Let me read this in complete Jewish Bible version here. So the first doctrine is uh, repenting from doing dead works. You've got to do something. That's what religion is all about, folks. Uh, hold your place here. Let me turn to James, chapter 1, verse 27. It says, the religious observance, which is translated to uh, uh, worship, I think, and uh, no, it isn't. But in the King James Version, religion means worship, observance, ceremonial observance. So that's what that, that word means. And you turn back to complete, in the complete Jewish Bible version here. I'm going to turn there. And, and verse 27 says, The religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being contaminated by the world. Now, this is the the uh, religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. So that doing something, having good works, that is the first doctrine of God. And many people don't understand that. They don't understand that. You know, the first thing that Johannan or John the Baptist stated in Luke chapter 3 was the first doctrine of God. Uh, Luke chapter 3, as far as you know, they had asked, and what should we do to repent? And, and Luke 3 verse 10 in the complete Jewish Bible version, the crowds asked Johannan, so then what should we do? In verse 11, he answered, Whoever has two coats should share with someone who has none, and whoever has food should do the same. So the first thing that he told, and he's telling us today, if we truly want to change our minds and repent, is to do something. We we have to do some good works. The Jews understand this very well. <laughs> and, and the good works is very important. And he said, well, and then the, the, the average Christian said, well, that doesn't save you. Well, let's let's understand that in the context of what has just been said. Uh, Psalms 119, Psalm 119, verse 165, states this. And I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, I hope for your deliverance, Adonai, which means, Lord, I obey your mitzvah, which is the commandments. And verse, uh, no, wait a minute. And verse... 119, verse 165, says, Those who love your Torah, or teachings, have great peace. Nothing makes them stumble. And verse 119, verse 166, I hope for your deliverance, Adonai. I obey your mitzvah, or commandments. All right? So, 
And reading this in the King James Version, it states, well, let me read it again in the King James, Psalm 119, 165 to 166, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. In verse 166, Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation, and done thy commandments. So when you hope for the salvation of God, you do the commandments, which involves, of course, giving, because in Luke 6, Verse 38, he says, give, and it should be given unto you. So that's a commandment, one of the many teachings and, and laws of God. He commands us to give. And that is the first doctrine that many people stumble upon. They don't understand that, that they must give. That And how do you give? If you don't fellowship with someone, who do you have to give to? No one. That's why you must fellowship. So anyway, let's, let's get back to Hebrews. Chapter 6, verse 1, reading this complete Jewish Bible version. All right, so the first two doctrines is uh, repentance of dead works and do good works, then trusting God, which means faith. And then the third one is instruction about washings, which immersion is one of them. And then the fourth one is semicha, which is the laying on of hands, which also involves teaching, and also blessing people through laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, which really is the entire plan of God, is to provide a resurrection for every single human being and give that human being an opportunity to live forever, and eternal punishment. And that's, of course, the doctrine that tells us that we will all be judges, but also we will be judged, and those who don't want to obey the eternal Elohim will be destroyed. So that's a very, um, that's a doctrine I think I don't think many people really understand. I think those to the last two, really, out of all of these, the first doctrine definitely people don't understand. If they do, they don't want to do it. Trusting God to, that's a problem. Uh, the instruction about washings, I know. Quite a few people don't understand that you can be immersed several times, even though he commands you to do it once. I, I would say all these doctrines, most people in the assemblies really don't understand. They don't understand. And what 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 has gone on? Well, first of all, let's go to the, the words of God and what God has stated. Now, I've explained in a previous program that this book, the book of Revelation, is open now. It is open now for any believer to understand. And then the reason why is, let's, let's go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is the revelation which God gave to Yeshua the Messiah so that he could show his servants what must happen very soon. He communicated it by sending his angel to his servant, Yohanan, verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah as much as he saw. Verse 3, blessed are the reader and hearers, which means understanding, of the words of this prophecy, provided they obey the things written in it, for the time is near. All right, so in this vital book, the book of Revelation, it is revealed that we must take the words seriously in this book. All right, so I just wanted to point that out, that we have to take the book of Revelation's words very seriously. And one of the things that we must take seriously is, is the doctrines of God 
and this book has been open for for us to understand, and we must understand that this book tells you what's going to happen to each and every one of us that totally refuse to obey all the words in this book. And so I just wanted to point that out to you as well. So, the importance of fellowship. We're still quoting some scriptures in reference to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4. They begged and pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service for God's people. That's a part of fellowship as well, sharing with God's people. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 14. The grace of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Rayak HaKadosh, or the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Okay? So, the Lord and, and the love of God and, and the Holy Spirit, there, there should be a fellowship there. Galatians 2, verse 9. So, having perceived what grace had been given to me, Yaakov, Kepha, and Yohanan, the knowledge in that Yaakov is, uh, who is that? I think it's John. Let me see. Or Jacob, rather. James, rather. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go into the heathen, and that they should go into circumcision. So, again, fellowship and the concept of of uh, being around people, helping them, and so forth. The right hands of fellowship. The Pledge of Communion. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And of letting everyone see how this secret plan is going out to work, this plan kept hidden for ages the creator of uh, everything. Um, where is this scripture? All right, that's a misquote there. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 5. Uh, it says right here, because you have shared in proclaiming the good news from the very first day until now. And then uh, the King James says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So we should also fellowship with the gospel. And how do you do that? By sharing that, that message to uh, to other people. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 1. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from me, from your being in union with the Messiah, any comfort flowing from love, any fellowship with me in the spirit, or any compassion and sympathy. So it involves all that fellowship as well. Um, Philemon, it's only one chapter, and then verse 6, says, I pray that the fellowship based on your commitment will produce full understanding of every good thing that is ours in union with the Messiah. So commitment has a lot to do with fellowship as well, folks. And First John one verse three. What we have seen and heard, we are proclaiming to you, so that you may, you too, may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Yeshua the Messiah. That's a very powerful scripture there to explain the concept of fellowship again. And 1 John 1, verse 6 to 7, If we claim to have fellowship with him while we are walking in the darkness, 
we are lying and not living out the truth. Verse 7, but if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of his son, Yeshua, purifies us from all sin. All right, so uh, I hope these scriptures have helped you understand what we need to do as far as fellowship, and, and of course not fellowshipping with certain people that um, have issues and, and have serious problems. And let me uh, quote another scripture here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 is our instruction here. Verse 9. And this, this, this context is uh, in reference to sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. In my earlier letter, I wrote you not to associate with people who engage in sexual immorality. I didn't mean the sexually immoral people outside your community or the greedy, or the thieves, or the idol worships, for then you would have to leave the world altogether. So, in other words, it, you know, when you go to work, especially the way work is today, I mean, they allow homosexuals and, and gays, uh, they kind of promote it now in, in the workforce. You can't get away from them. Um, who knows? I mean, people that go to work, I've heard of stories of people coming to work and shooting up people. So you don't know what kind of people, you don't know what kind of people you're involved in when you go to work. So in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, I didn't mean the sexually immoral people outside your community or the greedy or the thieves or the idol worshipers. For then you would have to leave the world altogether, verse 11. But it states here, no, what I wrote you was not to associate with anyone who is supposedly a brother, but who engages in sexual immorality, is greedy, worships idols, is abusive, gets drunk, or steals. With such a person you shouldn't even eat. So those are the rules, folks. You shouldn't associate with a brother who engages in sexual immorality, is greedy, worships idols, is abusive, gets drunk, or steals. Now, worshiping idols can be in the context of not accepting the doctrines of Christ. Because I just read to you that we're not supposed to associate with people who don't accept the teachings of Christ. It says, with such a person you should not even eat. Okay, so he's, he says, verse 12 here, of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Isn't it those who are part of the community that you should be judging? God will judge those who are outside. Just expel the evildoer from among yourselves. Okay, so that is the rule for those who consider themselves believers or Christians. Uh, that is the way we need to conduct things, folks. And I'm trying to find the um, the scripture that that uh, reveals how we are to um, conduct each other when there's offenses. Here we go. So in Matthew, I think it's in Matthew here. Here we go. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. says, Moreover, if your brother commits a sin against you, go and show him his fault, but privately, just between the two of you. If if he listens, because some don't, unfortunately, if he listens or she listens to you, you have won back your brother. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you so that every accusation can be supported by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to hear, tell them to the assembly or the congregation. And if he refuses to listen, even to the congregation, 
then you treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So that that is the that is the procedure that you you must follow in that area. Okay. So let's go over so far what we've learned about fellowship. Fellowship can, is partnership, is participation, is social intercourse. Uh, it involves communion, distribution, sharing, and caring about people. Sitting down at a meal with people. So that's what fellowship is. And and we have examined the fact that, well, we haven't yet, but we will, about Jesus' example. But let's go over some key scriptures here. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 16. I'm going to read this in the King James Version to make my point here. Romans uh, 15, verse 16. Okay, where is this word here? It's supposed to be... All right, let me go back here. Oh, 15, verse 26. I'm sorry, folks. All right, and Romans 15, verse 26 is, For it is pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia to make a certain contribution. So that same word that's translated to uh, the uh, koinonia, koinonia, which means uh, it can mean partnership, participation, uh, communication, communion, distribution, or, or contribution. It can mean contribution as well. And in this particular uh, verse here, the, the word contribution, uh, the, the same word, kononia, is used there and is translated contribution. So fellowship can also mean contribution or, or giving to the poor, which, again, <laughs> is part of the first doctrine of God, which is uh, repentance from dead works. All right, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse thirteen. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glor- glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution. Again, that word distribution is the same Greek word um, koinonia, and it was translated distribution here. So it can mean distribution. Do you understand what fellowship really means, folks? It means that you care about people, folks. It means that you should have this willing desire to want a fellowship, of course, with everyone. But un- unfortunately, in this wicked world, we can't fellowship with everyone. But uh, we should fellowship with like-minded believers. But we should still feed our enemies and love our enemies. So we still should give to people, because Yeshua stated, love your enemies. But for wicked people who don't obey God and so forth, we're not commanded to fellowship with them and just have a, a relationship with them and commune with them. All right? Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 16. It says, but to do good and to communicate. So communicate, that word communicate, again, the the same word is used called nanya and and it can mean also to to share that word communicate means to share uh because um 
this word, complete Jewish Bible version here, Hebrews 13, verse 16, the word is, is correctly translated here. Don't forget doing good and sharing with others. Again, that's the first doctrine of Yeshua or God, repentance from dead works. Now, let's turn to Proverbs 27, verse 17. And this is some added benefits to when we do fellowship. When we do fellowship. How much time do I have left here? Uh, it's one hour and 11 minutes. I have plenty of time here. When we do fellowship, uh, Proverbs 27, verse 17, just as iron sharpens iron, a person sharpens the character of his friend. So when, when two minds, I know you've ever heard the story, two minds are better than one. Well, that's the truth. And when you have two like-minded believers um, doing a good Bible study together, then what's going to happen is that you're going to sharpen each other. It says, just as iron sharpens iron, a person sharpens the character of his friend. And, and Proverbs 27, verse 17, that's in, in the complete Jewish Bible version. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, Proverbs 27, verse 17, is translated, as one piece of iron sharpens another, so friends keep each other sharp. And then also the same verse in, a, in the English Standard Version, it says, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. How can you keep yourself sharp if you're not fellowshipping with people? And again, I'm not talking about fellowshipping with unbelievers. I'm talking about avoiding fellowshipping with believers, which, again, in Hebrews chapter 10, prophesied that in these end times, because it says that you see the day approaches. So even though they, they thought their the day was approaching, of course, their day did approach. They died. But this definitely, this day is, is translated, uh, the day is capitalized, meaning the day of the Lord, uh, the day of judgment. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 25, says, Not neglecting our congregational meetings that some have made a practice of doing. And, and we're definitely doing that now because when we get to the prophecy of Matthew chapter 24, which I've explained in, in, in previous programs, uh, especially the last one that's referring to uh, the 21st century here, obviously. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, especially, uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, it says, And many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance from Torah. And so if you keep distance from Torah or the teachings of God, then you're not going to want a fellowship. You're not going to want a fellowship. Proverbs 29, verse 9, Perfume and incense make the heart glad. Also friendship sweet with advice from the heart. So that's in, in the complete Jewish Bible version. Again, it says in Proverbs 27, verse 9, Perfume and incense... Make the heart glad. Also, friendship, sweet with advice from the heart. Now, I want to emphasize something. I know a lot of people, in the Messianic groups especially, and, and those who want to embrace the Hebraic roots, and that's important. Uh, don't get me wrong. That's very important to understand that our Lord and Savior is Jewish and, and that the uh, kingdom of God will be ruled by Jews, and him being the top one, and then, of course, um, the disciples, and for those who don't understand that, let me quote uh, this scripture here. And Christ said this in red letters too. Uh, his followers or his disciples or missionaries at the time it says uh, in Matthew 19 verse 27, a complete Jewish Bible version. Kepha or Peter replied, "Look, we have left everything and follow you. So what will we have?" Verse 28, Yeshua said to him, Yes, I tell you that in the regenerated world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones and judge the twelve tribes of Israel. So 
you have scriptural proof that Yeshua will be ruling, and underneath him will be his 12 disciples who are all Jews and will be ruling the entire earth. So this entire earth will be ruled primarily by Jews, folks. So that's important. That is how important Jews are. But anyway, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1 to 2. I just want to emphasize that God's holy days involve believers assembling or fellowshipping together. God wants the fellowship with us, as I'm going to prove to you, and he wants his people to fellowship with each other. We're a family. Elohim means family. It means that it's God wants to create a family that look like him and act like him. That's the overall goal of mankind. And he's reproducing himself. That's exactly what he's doing, as any other father does when they have, uh, when they get, um, of course, their wife's pregnant, they have children. Of course, God doesn't <laughs> get anyone pregnant, but he does it in a different way, okay? Um, Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Adonai said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel the designated times of Adonai, which you are to proclaim as holy congregations, are my designated times. Work is to be done on six days, but the seventh day is a Shabbat of complete rest, a holy convocation. You are not to do any kind of work. It is a Shabbat for Adonai, even in your homes. These are the designated times of Adonai, the holy convocations you are to proclaim in their designated times. So he includes a Shabbat along with the rest of the holy days. This is a commanded assembly. When you look up convocation, it's a commanded assembly. And I, again, I remember a teaching from some ministers stating that you don't have to fellowship with anybody. I say to you, nay, you must fellowship. It's commanded assemblies. We must gather together if we can. I know there are situations with people because of divisions and, and people not obeying the doctrines of Christ that they can't. You do the best you can. You do the best you can to assemble. And here's an encouraging scripture for those who are in that situation. I'm in that situation. I don't have... Unfortunately, that many people that wants to fellowship with me because I'm teaching the doctrines of God, which they're not familiar with, and they think I'm crazy because uh, they've never heard of this before. And, and, they, and what they need to do is be a Berean and check into the scriptures, as Acts chapter 17 states, and see whether the things I'm teaching are true or not. That's what they need to do. And if they do, and if they are a believer and they believe that they should live by every word of God, they're going to see that I'm teaching correctly. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't uh, follow that, and we have these divisions. But anyway, let me let me uh, pull the scripture here. Something that Christ said that was very encouraging, especially for me in my situation, and I'm sure other people are in that situation as well. And Matthew 18, verse 20, he states here, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So if you just, I, I'm reading, uh, I'm taking a course in behavioral, behavioral organization. And one of the things that was interesting as I'm studying this course, it states that um, a group can, can be, can, uh, a group is two people. The minimum of a group is two people. So, Obviously, God already knew that, but in Matthew 18, verse 20, says, Where there are two or three gathered in my name, says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So if you just have two people, you have a fellowship. 
you have a fellowship. So I want you to understand that, and um, and you should try to build on that fellowship. Uh, on the Shabbat, you could uh, help people. You can try to visit the sick. Uh, you can do other things just instead of just Bible studying all day on the Shabbat. You can fellowship. You could uh, go to... Um, communities in, in your neighborhood, and feed, you can feed people on the Sabbath. There's nothing wrong with doing that, as long as you're not getting paid for it. Uh, try to visit people that you know that are sick, whether they're believers or not, okay? Uh, try to do good things for people. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But the uh, the, the wrong type of fellowship is, is having a meal with somebody who you know is an adulterer, and uh, they don't have any... any uh, sense of wanting to repent. <laughs> no, you stay away from people like that. You stay away from people. If you have to work with them, that's fine, but after work, it's time to go home. Okay, so John, chapter 1. So let's look at the example of Yeshua now, and what he did. John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, starting in verse 11. He came to his own homeland, yet his own people did not receive him. Yeshua was a walking Shekinah. He's the glory of God. And he came to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us. That's what that's the, that's what Sukkot means, or it should mean, the tabernacle of one to dwell with us. And, and John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own homeland, yet his own people did not receive him, which that was not his fault. They just didn't want to believe the truth. Verse 12, but to as many as did receive him, to those who put their trust in his person and power, he gave the right to become the children of God. Okay, so his own people, a lot of the Jewish people, did not receive him. They did not receive him. And, and I, you know, my wife is bringing this up today in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, she had just noticed something here about uh, this prophecy that... Uh, definitely reveals the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who believes our report, to whom it is the arm of Adonai revealed? Verse 2, For before him he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of a dry ground. He was not well formed and especially handsome. We saw him, but his appearance did not attract us. Verse 3, People despised and avoided him. And that kind of explains why people despise and avoid me, because I followed this man's teachings. I followed this great God-man's teachings to the core and you know my wife understands better now <laughs> and so do I because she brought this out to me why I'm despised and avoided and, and he even stated in the gospels that hey if they hate me they'll hate you too he said hey, I'm going to quote you that quote you a verse hey keep uh, hold your place here I'm going to quote a verse to you where he says that the world hated him even then and the reason why the world hates him, folks, because the world is not obeying him. It's not obeying him. And unfortunately, the deception is so great that even in God's own assemblies, they don't really love him like they should. They don't love his words. They don't love his words. Again, he came into his own, and his own rejected him. And that's a prophecy because that's what's happening today in this end times. The majority, unfortunately, in the churches, as I'm going to prove to you, has rejected his words. They don't believe his words like they should. That's why he, let me uh, quote where he says here that 
the world hates him. John 7, verse 7, it says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof of evil. And that's that's the key verse there. People don't want to change. The message of the gospel is to repent, to change. We all got something wrong with us. And because he was preaching to the entire world at that time, okay, or what was the world at that time, 200 million people, uh, Jesus' name was definitely known to, to everyone there around the world. John 7, verse 7 says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. <laughs> so, and I do that. And that's why the world hates me. And that's why so-called believers, pretenders I call them, hate me because I preach the truth out of the scriptures. And I don't deviate from it. Anyone that knows me knows that. I don't deviate from the scriptures. Verse uh, 7 of John 7. The world cannot hate you, but it me it hated, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. And then John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And then in 1 John 3, verse 13 says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. <laughs> so that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And I, I know quite a few believers, they, they don't want to accept that. If you're going to teach and follow Yeshua, you are going to be despised and rejected as well. You're going to be despised and rejected as well. And if you don't understand that, you're going to have great difficulty. But we are to have this attitude, those who are rejected. In, in Matthew 5, verse 44, but I'm saying to you, love your, Matthew 5, verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, which is again, uh, the first doctrine of God again, repentance from dead works, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And let's go over this. One of the characteristics of God's people, which I, I believe a lot of people just don't seem to understand, uh, one of our characteristics. And he states here, Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And I can definitely relate to these scriptures. And verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. All the prophets, including him, were persecuted the same way. They told him that he was false. They called him demons. I've been called a demon before. I've been called. I've been the falsely accused, saying that I'm preaching false doctrine when I'm just preaching out of the words of God. Uh, Jeremiah 23 instructs those who wish to be Torah teachers and who claim to be Torah teachers. Uh, this is what they must do uh, to be accepted by God. Uh, let's see if I can find this verse here. It 
says right here in Proverbs 23, verse 28 in the King James Version, A prophet that have a dream, let him tell a dream, and he that have my word, let him speak my word faithfully. And that's what I do. I speak the words faithfully by preaching his word. <laughs> it says, What is the shaft to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh rock into pieces? If you obey, obey these words, people, this should change you. It should. Uh, there's a scripture that tells you that you must tremble before his words. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Okay, so you must tremble before his word. And he also takes people seriously that tremble before his words. And I'm trying to find this verse here that proves that. Here, Isaiah 66, verse 2 in the King James Version. For all those things have my mind made, have mine, well, of course, for all those things have my hand made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. So that word tremble in the original Hebrew means uh, karat, and it means afraid. So we should take his word seriously. And when you don't take his word seriously, God is not going to take you seriously, folks. So anyway, getting back to, let me quote Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, saw, and John, and I John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And so God desires to dwell with everyone, folks, and we should desire to dwell with mankind as well. But, of course, in this day and age, we have to be careful about who we fellowship with or dwell with because people, many people are wicked today, unfortunately. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 confirms this for those who don't believe what I just said there. Uh, it says, in verse 14, Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few, and that word few in the original Greek means tiny, tiny, the few, the puny. That's what it means, oligos, and it means puny, <laughs> especially small, short, there be that find it. So, and he calls his fellowship a little flock, and so we are. We're definitely a little flock. Luke chapter 2. Verse 42, to prove that Yeshua, Jesus, fellowship with his people. To continue to prove that. Luke 2, verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Now, I just read you that the feasts are, are fellowships that you assemble. You get together and worship together. And part of worship is helping people and caring about people. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 20. Luke 4, verses 14 to 20. It says, Yeshua returned to the 
Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and reports about him spread throughout the countryside. Verse 15, he taught in their synagogues, and everyone respected him. And so if anybody understands what they did in the synagogues, that's, that's even today Jews fellowship or congregate in synagogues. So Yeshua did that regularly. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone respected him. And there were Pharisees around him when he did that. Verse 16, now when he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up on Shabbat, he went to the synagogue as usual. And that in the King James Version, it says as his custom. So he did this every Shabbat. Uh, there are people that have the incorrect conception that Yeshua just wanted to run away from people. No, he wanted to be with people. He came so so that he can be with people. He loves his creation, and he wants to be around people. And it's the devil that is putting in people's minds, including those in the Messianic uh, assemblies and, and, and other assemblies, that we, 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 we just don't want to, we just want to be by ourselves. We're so righteous, and let's let our light shine in our homes. And, and that's not what, what uh, God wants us to do, folks. Verse 16, now when we went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up on Shabbat, he went to the synagogue as usual. He stood up to read. And he was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. And, and he read the prophecy Isaiah, uh, the uh, prophecy of Isaiah chapter, uh, I'm trying to remember what verse, but um, Isaiah chapter 60, I think. Let me see. 61, yeah, Isaiah chapter 61. Yeah, verse 1. He read that part. All right, so that's what he did. And then in verse 20, uh, I'm going read this in the King James Version. In verse 20, And he closed the book and gave it again to, to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. See, so the holy days are to encourage us to fellowship. And the Sabbath is a holy day. It's part of the holy days. John 18, verse 20. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, where the Jews always resort, and secret have I said nothing. So he did this, uh, let me put this in an easier version here, John 18, verse 20. Yeshua answered, I have spoken quite openly to everyone. I have always taught in a synagogue or in the temple where all Jews meet together, and I have said nothing in secret. So again, if you don't understand by now that Yeshua was open, he wanted to fellowship with people, there's something wrong with your brains. As the Bible states that if you don't accept these teachings, then there's something wrong with your brains, okay? Uh, John 18, verse 20, Yeshua answered, I have spoken quite openly to everyone. I have always taught in a synagogue or in a temple where all Jews meet together, and I have said nothing in secret, okay? And in Acts chapter 17, verse 2, according to his usual practice, this is Shaul, went in and on three Shabbats he gave them drashes, or teachings from the Tanakh. Okay? So, again, and then the King James Version says, reason with them out of the scriptures. And so that's what Shaul did, and Shaul stated, or Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. All right? So, obviously, he followed Christ. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Let's understand that Yeshua wanted to so bad fellowship with his as human beings that he's created. He, he, and he still does today. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees. Or let me read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. Well, I'll read this in King James. 
Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Oh, wait a minute. Quoting wrong scripture there. Let me go down to Matthew 15, verse uh, 29. It says, And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up into the mountain and sat down there. And verse 30, And great multitudes came unto them, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. Here we go again. He's practicing his own doctrine, the first doctrine of God again, repentance of dead works. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. And in verse 32, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting that they faint in the way. We should have that same compassion and mercy toward our fellow human beings, folks. We really should. And you know the rest of the story. He fed them. Okay? He fed them a lot. Because he had compassion. In John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Let me repeat this verse again. It's very significant. It shows you that he was very active and involved with mankind. John, chapter 21, verse 25. And there are so many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. John chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Here we go again. We're practicing alive works instead of dead works. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work as long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. So, of course, we know the story. He healed him. And we should be doing that. For those who have the gifts of healing, I have it. And I have gone out and prayed on people, and they've been healed. And God has healed them through me. And I'm nothing but... It's the, the Father's power in me that did it, okay? And we should, for those who have the gift of healing, John 14, for those who think I'm talking crazy here, uh, he states here in verse 12 of John chapter 14, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Let me repeat that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall be shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. That's what your Lord and Savior said. Do you believe what he said there? And there should be many miracles going on. I'm going to show you when you are one with God, and when everyone is speaking the same thing, and when everyone is together, those major miracles occur. 
But the reason why there's a lot of miracles that are lacking in the assemblies and in the churches is because people aren't speaking the same thing, as I'm going to prove to you. And people are hating one another instead of loving one another, even in the assemblies. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14. You are the light of the world. This is a believer. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 15. Neither do men light up a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we should, in our communities, and a lot of communities in the United States have this, and perhaps around the world, uh, where you can help the poor. There's organizations like Feeding America, uh, the Rotary International, and, and other organizations that we can go where we can just help people. That's what he's, what he's talking about. He's not talking about preaching to them unless they ask, of course. He's talking about just helping people, visiting people in prison, or those who you know, just visiting some sick people. That's what he's expecting us to do. That's how we repent from doing dead works. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom, this is a prophecy about the assemblies today and how what their attitudes are, because I know, I know from experience that this is true. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And the bridegroom is Yeshua, who are, will be our husband or is our husband. Um, Lamps, of course, represents what we do. Uh, verse 2, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. So the, the assemblies here, five of them were wise and five were foolish. And, of course, the virgins are the believers. Verse 3, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now, what do the lamps mean in this context? Well, let's turn, hold your place here, and let's turn to Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the words of God is this lamp. And then in Proverbs 6, verse 23. Proverbs 6, verse 23. It says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So, are you understanding where this is leading, folks, as far as the lamp is concerned? The lamp is the word of God, uh, it's the teachings of God, and it's the reproofs of instructions, which is the way of life. Okay? And then uh, Proverbs 13, verse 9. The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. Okay, so we understand what this lamp is talking about here in this context of Scripture here. Remember, the Bible interprets itself, and then sometimes you have to go here to, and here a little and there a little to understand what it's talking about. And that's what I did. So Matthew 25, verse 2, And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, which represents the Word of God, the way of life, the instructions, and the willingness to be corrected, and took no oil with them. And so if they took no oil with them, they would not have light. In other words, they didn't study the Bible. They didn't do what it says. They weren't willing to be corrected. Verse 4, but the wise took oil in their, their vessels with their lamps. And what are the wise? The wise in the Bible are those who, who fear God, who fear God. 
the beginning of wisdom. What is the beginning of wisdom? What is that? And uh, let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So fearing of God, if you don't fear God, you're not going to even have wisdom. And so these are people who uh, didn't have wisdom, and those that did, they did fear God. And then Proverbs 8, verse 13, plainly states that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 25 here. All right, in verse 3, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil on their lamps with their lamps. Verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried, they all, but see, this is significant. Verse 5, while the bridegroom is waiting, which he's doing now, he has not come back yet, they all slumbered and slept. And then, of course, in verse 6, when there's trouble at midnight, which may be indicating when there's a nuclear war, I don't know, okay, but it says at midnight, because the doomsday clock at midnight says, hey, there's total um, worldwide destruction. But anyway, at midnight, there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh. In other words, he's in the process of coming. Go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Okay, so that's the common tendency, folks, of human beings. Let's hold your place here and turn to Isaiah chapter 26 to understand this. Most human beings need judgments upon the earth to wake them up. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 9. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yes, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And unfortunately, that's the way we are. That's how adults are spanked. And God is fully aware of that. <laughs> and just like he stated, and John said, you people won't believe unless you see signs and wonders. And that, that's just the way we are. That's just the way we are. Let me show that scripture to you if you're not familiar with it. <laughs> he said that in John. It says, John 4, verse 44. John 4, verse 48. Then Jesus said unto him, Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And that's just the way we are. We have to see signs and wonders. We have to see devastation. We have to see all kinds of things for most of us. You know, I don't think I'm like that. I believe God's words. Now, I don't need to see a catastrophe to believe, but unfortunately a lot of people, even among most of the people in, in the congregations, need to see something to, to 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 actually do what they're supposed to do. That's what this prophecy indicates here. And then verse 7, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Yeah, when the problems come, yeah. You know, verse 8, And then the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. And our, our capability of understanding the Bible, our capability of wanting to be corrected, etc., has gone out. Verse 9, But the wise answer saying, Not so, that not there be not enough for us and for you. But go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And you can't buy the Holy Spirit. You can't buy the ability, because when you study the Bible, the Holy Spirit plays a role in this as well to help you understand the Bible. Verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward, came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he said, really? I don't know you. 
Verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour wherein the Son of Man comes. And this is a warning. We have to always be doing something, folks. We can't just wait for a specific day to say, okay, let me trim my lamps and let me start Bible study and let me do what I need to do. No, you can't do that. You have to do it now before it's too late. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. This is uh, when he was uh, the night before uh, he was going to get crucified or or near it. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Matthew 26, verse 37. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Wait ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And verse 40, And he cometh unto his disciples and find them asleep and said unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? So he does, I'm pointing this out, that he, even in his time of suffering, he wanted fellowship. He wanted the fellowship with human beings, folks. I'm just showing this to you to tell you that God, he desires very much the fellowship with, with his creation. Verse 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done, which shows us an example of obedience, and it shows an example that even though, of course, he didn't want to go through this, he wanted to do, he loved his father so much and the truth so much, because he's the embodiment of truth, that Against his will, he went on ahead and obeyed his father's will. And that's a good example for all of us. Matthew 26, verse 43. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And I just read you a parable about falling asleep, right? Verse 44. And he and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 46, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray him. So he, even, he, wanted, he wanted to fellowship. He, he wants to fellowship, folks. And even in his, in his great time of need, he still understandably wanted fellowship. And unfortunately, the disciples were asleep. <laughs> unfortunately, they were sleeping, and, and, and they just weren't really with him like they should have been, as he desired them to be. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 34. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stone them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen does gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. He had a desire back in the Old Testament times to gather everyone together and to fellowship with them. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to fellowship with them, but they wouldn't obey. And God doesn't want to fellowship with people that don't want to obey him. Okay? John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And this is because they couldn't understand a certain teaching. And, you know, that I've run into that a lot, too, um, and you know, people 
sit right here. John, he was talking about the fact that if someone eats his body and drinks his blood, they'll have eternal life. And some of them thought he was talking about cannibalism. And, and let me just read it here, John 6, verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue, John 6, verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it or who can understand it? And, you know, I I understand what he went through here because I, I've, I'm teaching some things that people have never heard because they've never checked their Bibles, and they think I'm talking crazy. And so they do exactly what these people did. Uh, in verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, does this offend you? <laughs> what, and if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profit nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. In verse 65, and he said, Therefore say unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him unto my father. In verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They said many of his disciples. And they walked away from him. Why? Because they couldn't understand what he was talking about. And they just gave up. And that's what many people do, too. When I when I preach something, they don't understand it. They assume that I'm not teaching correctly, and they just stop listening to me. And you shouldn't do that. You should ask me, where in the Scriptures proves your point? And I'll be glad to do that. Don't automatically assume that I'm teaching incorrectly. You should do what the people did here in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Verse 11. Well, actually, let me read the context here. Acts 17, verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who, coming, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. That's what you, you have to become a student. It's like you're a student in school. You have to become a student of the Bible. If you're not willing to do that, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Okay, you have got to take the Bible seriously, and you've got to start studying the Scriptures. It's like you would if you were in school. That's the only way you're going to understand what I'm saying fully, or anyone else that preaches the words of God. And for those who have disabilities, I'm sure there's extenuating circumstances, you can listen to the Bible. Um, and that's the same as reading it if you listen to it. And then, in verse 66 of John, chapter 6, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? And verse 68, and remember, I want to emphasize this verse. From that time many, not a few, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him because they couldn't understand what he was talking about. Verse 67, Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? And verse 68, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. All right, so they decided to stay with him. The others, because it was a hard teaching, left him. And, you know, that's that's sad. That's sad. But that's what happens today, too. And 
And so in First Corinthians chapter twelve, I just want to make a um, I want to make a point here. I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Twenty eight minutes left. All right. It says, but brothers, I do not want you to go on being ignorant about the things of the Spirit. Verse two of First Corinthians chapter twelve. You know that when you were pagans. No matter how you felt you were being led, you were being led astray to idols, which can't speak at all. Verse 3, Therefore I want to make it clear to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Yeshua is cursed, and no one can say Yeshua is Lord except by uh, the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, Now there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit gives them. Also there are different ways of serving, but it is the same Lord being served. And there are different modes of working, but it is the same God working them all and everyone. Moreover, to each person is given the particular manifestation of the Spirit that will be for the common good. To one through the Spirit is given a word of wisdom, to another a word of knowledge in accordance with the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to judge between spirits, to another the ability to speak in different kinds of languages or tongues, and yet to another the ability to interpret those tongues or languages. Uh, verse 11, one and the same Spirit is at work in all these things, distributing to each person as he chooses. For just as the body is one, but has many parts, and all parts of the body through many constitute one body, so it is with the Messiah. For it was by one Spirit that we were all immersed into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given to one Spirit to drink. For indeed the body is not part, but many. If the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I'm not part of the body, that doesn't make it stop being part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not an eye, so I'm, I'm not part of the body, that doesn't make it stop being part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If we were all hearing, how could it smell? But as it is, God arranged each of the parts in the body exactly as he wanted them. Now, if they were all just one part, where would the body be? But as it is, there are indeed many parts, yet just one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, or the hand to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be less important, that seem to be less important, turn out to be all the more necessary. And upon body parts which we consider less dignified, we bestow greater dignity. And the parts that aren't attractive are the ones we make as attractive as we can. Verse 24, while our attractive parts have no need for such treatment, indeed God has put the body together in such a way that he gives greater dignity to the parts that lack it. Verse 25, so that there will be no disagreements within the body, but rather all the parts will be equally concerned for all the others. And that's the problem, too, with many of the Messianic groups and, and the Hebraic roots groups and, and the Christian groups. They don't care about one another the same or equally. That's what causes division. Verse 26, thus if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts share in its happiness. So when one person suffers in the body, everyone should suffer. And if everyone is going, if there's any type of happiness, we all share in that happiness. It's about sharing. And people just don't get that when it comes to true worship of God. Verse 27, now you together constitute the body of the Messiah and individually you are parts of it. Now if you don't fellowship, how can you celebrate someone's um, good happenings? Or how can you suffer with someone if you don't fellowship? Verse 28, and God has placed in the Messianic community first in missionaries, which are apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then those who work miracles, uh, then those with gifts of healing, those with the ability to help, those skilled in administration, and those who speak various languages. Verse 19, not, not 
not all our missionaries, not all our mission, not all our missionaries or apostles are they? Not all our prophets are they, or teachers or miracle workers? Verse thirty. Not all have the gifts of healing. Not all speak in tongues. Not all interpret, do they? Eagerly seek the better gifts. But now I will show you the best way of all. So anyway, I wanted to quote that to help you to understand how the church should be. And in First Corinthians chapter one, verse one. First Corinthians chapter one verse ten. Nevertheless, brothers, I call on you in the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah to agree all of you in what you say, and not to let yourselves remain split into factions, but be restored to having a common mind and a common purpose. And see, that's the problem. There's so many different groups and factions among the Christian churches, among the Messianic and Hebraic groups, that that's the reason why we have a lack of miracles going on in these groups and a lack of fellowship. And it's of the devil. And the reason why is not everyone is not speaking the same thing and teaching the same things. Everybody has a different teaching. Everybody has this or that. It's different if the teachings are biblical, but more times than not, or more often than not anyway, the teachings aren't biblical. And that's what causes confusion. And right here in verse 11, for some of... Um, let me read this in the King James Version. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and of Christ. This is so true because I hear people, they tell me, well, this person said this and this person said that and, and all that. And, and, and that's great if they're teaching correctly, but it's horrifyingly wrong if they are teaching incorrectly. Verse 13, 1 first, first Corinthians 1, verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Was was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but uh, Crispus and Gaius, that not any should say that I had baptized in my name only, and I baptized also the household of Stephanas, besides I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, that not to cross... Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to point this out, that one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why we have divisions and factions among the Christian churches and also the Messianic and Hebraic roots movements is because they, we don't preach the same thing. Like I've tried to explain to you, I don't think hardly anyone truly understands the true doctrines of God. And the reason why we've been brainwashed, what did the Bible say about our, our past generations. See, we we got to take what the Bible says seriously, folks. If we don't, then we're going to always be confused, and we're not going to be able to figure to repent as he commands us to do, to change. I mean, that should tell us right now, if he's commanding everyone in the world to repent, we all got have inherited lies, as the Scripture tells us here. Jer Jeremiah 16, verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth, and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Okay? So we have inherited lies, folks. The Bible states this plainly in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And a great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, or Hasatan, which deceives or tricks the whole world. 
That's what he continues to do as I'm speaking. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we are deceived, whether you want to realize it or not. That's the reason why he tells everyone to repent. We all got something wrong with us, whether you want to admit that or not. And what's wrong is that we have been taught in some fashion or some aspect incorrect teachings about who God is, every single last one of us. I think the only one, maybe three, that weren't taught incorrectly was Jeremiah, because Jeremiah had the Holy Spirit from the womb. So did Yeshua, and also Johannan or John the Baptist. Other than those three, we've all been deceived, and all we, we did not have the Holy Spirit from birth. So we've all been deceived, and we all uh, have some things to clean out of our minds. And that is the truth, folks. That is the truth. And if you don't want to believe that, then I feel sorry for you. No one knows everything about everything, and that's certainly the case with the Bible. And if you start thinking that you know everything about the Bible, then it's really something wrong with you. Okay, it's it's really something wrong with you, and you need to repent. You really need to repent. And it's no such thing as, uh, uh, hey, I know it all. Uh, there's nothing more that I can be taught. And and that that's that's just it's, it's incorrect teachings, incorrect teachings. And you have to to recognize that, and you have to admit that you're lacking in knowledge. And if you're not willing to admit that, again, you're going to have issues. You're going to have serious issues. Okay, so I hope that I have um, helped you to understand uh, who to fellowship, that, that you must fellowship, first of all. And I hope, I hope that I've helped you to understand that you need the fellowship. And who to fellowship with? See, that's that's the important things as well. And we have to avoid false teachings. Uh, as first, let's go to Titus here. Titus chapter ten, chapter nine, rather. It says, holding fast at the faithful word, as he had been taught, that he may be able to sound be. Able be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. He's giving instruction to those who are Torah teachers. Verse 10, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision or uh, of Jewish, uh, <laughs> in this context, uh, of Jews. And there are some that, that teach deceitfully. Verse 11, Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy, uh, for uh, money's sake. So you know that that's not and for the and, and the complete Jewish Bible version says for the sake of dishonest gain. And he gives an example of a false teaching. Even one of the Cretans' own prophets has said, "Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons." And it's true. For this reason, you must be severe when you rebuke those who have followed this false teaching, so that they will come to be sound in their trust and no longer pay attention to Judaistic myths or the commands of people who reject the truth. And there are some teachings in Judaism um, that you need to avoid. The, the Kabbalah, some of that is, is not right and so forth. But that doesn't mean that everything in Judaism is wrong either. After all, Christ said, salvation is of the Jews. So we have to use the Bible as our guide. 
to decipher which we, we should accept and which we shouldn't. Okay, so that that's very important to understand that concept because I, I think uh, quite a few people don't understand that concept and, and they just go off track unnecessarily. Okay, so, but I'm trying to find this other scripture here that um, I quoted earlier. Here we go. First Timothy chapter 6. This is a very important passage of scripture here um, because I, I see this as really being a big problem with the assembly here. So I'm going to repeat this again here in the complete Jewish Bible version. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches differently and does not agree to the sound principles of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and to the doctrine that is in keeping with godliness. Okay? The King James Version says the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and those words of Jesus Christ were those who bashed Paul, he stated in red letters that he was his chosen vessel. Now, let me uh, get to that scripture here. See, what's the, what's, the, what's the second major doctrine of God, folks? It's trust in God, and trust is the evidence of things not seen. So we shouldn't have to see everything to believe it, folks. Uh, remember Thomas? Thomas needed to see Yeshua to believe he was resurrected. God wants us to believe, even if we can't see, that he exists. And, and, he, and that also goes in, in reference to his words as well. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. This is in red letters here. To bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And so again, this is Christ's own words here. And then what does the scripture say in the King James? It says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but dotting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come of envy, strife, railings, and, and evil surmising. So people that doubt Paul, this is what happens to you. You know, and what happens to perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. Your mind becomes corrupt when you start to doubt Paul. Plain and simple as that. And destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself away. So that's what happens eventually. You, you get to that mental state. But to avoid that, for those who trash Paul, you need to stop trashing him and realize he is the word of God. You know, I know that that Paul's words are true because most people don't believe him. <laughs> so that's one of the that's one of the uh, the tests to, to know that Paul's words is true. Also, in Second Peter, which is another letter that they tell us to to, to adhere to and to obey, the scriptures tell us in Second Peter chapter three verse fifteen an account that the long suffering our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, have written unto you, as also in all his epistles or letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures into their own destruction. So Shaul's epistles or Paul's epistles are stated that they're scriptures. And then Paul, uh, not Peter, warned us that people, even back when they were translated into Greek and possibly Hebrew, that people would misunderstand his writings. This is before it was translated into English. So let's understand that fact, folks. Now let's look at some scriptures that indicate what would happen if the church practiced fellowshipping and being together and stopped thinking, 
you know, all kind of crazy things and and just were willing to get the, the scriptures and stop thinking that there's mistranslations everywhere in the English version and so forth, okay? you got to have faith, and that's what... Hold your place here. I want to quote this scripture because it's a prophecy, and it's a big problem among the people of God in this end times. Luke 18, verse 8. I tell you, that he will avenge him speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? And so that's a question. He's wondering, will he find faith on the earth when he comes back? That's how big of a problem it is today for people to actually believe God's words. Believe me, I know. I experience it. And this is what happens, folks, when People speak the same thing, and they care about each other, and they fellowship, and they give. This is what happens. Acts 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized or immersed. They, first of all, they gladly received the words. They weren't rebellious. They were baptized or immersed, and the same day were added about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So they fellowshiped. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Again, Yeshua realizes that we need signs and wonders to believe. Verse 44, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. Okay? And sold their possessions and goods and parted to all men as every man has need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple assembling. And breaking bread from house to house, so they had meals from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And I guarantee you, folks, this is not happening worldwide as it should be. And that's why we have a lack of miracles, and that's why there's so many divisions and factions in God's church today, unfortunately, assemblies. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Now, this is an example. Um, let me just quote this. This is how powerful the assembly was back in the first century. So they were all put in jail at this time. I'm just going to go into the context here. Acts 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were all assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I don't know if they were in jail now. And verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. So they all considered all their possessions, everyone else's. They were willing to share and care. Again, practicing the first doctrine of God, which is repentance of dead works. Verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution, distribution, 
distribution, that word distribution. Okay. Uh, but it's not the same word, but still, you know, and you understand the concept there. Uh, distribution was made to every man giving, again, every man according as he had need. And verse 36, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now realize, of course, these folks were rich, obviously, and they had the money to give. God is not expecting you to give him give you give him everything, including your your underwear. Okay, uh, you should understand that you must take care of your responsibilities. Uh, first, First uh, Timothy chapter five, verse eight states this: "But if but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house." He has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or unbeliever. So you should give, but not to the point where you aren't able to take care of your responsibilities in your family. Okay, so obviously this man did not give so much that he couldn't take care of himself and be an unnecessary burden to the rest of the congregation. So I just wanted to point that out. But when the congregations care about one another, folks, this is what happens, and me and my wife and my son are, are, are hoping that we can fellowship with other people. We fellowship with one individual named Joseph right now, but I, I just hope that there's other people that we can fellowship and not have these debates and arguments about scriptures and these silly arguments about Paul and 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 uh, whether or not a lamb should be uh, sacrificed or not for Passover. If that's something that you want to do, you know, do it. Uh, it's no big deal, uh, or, or anything else. I'm, I'm just giving examples, but I, I, and then whether or not God and, and, and God the Father and God the Son are two different individuals is common sense. If you look at the scriptures, they are. Okay, whether or not Yeshua is the firstborn of every creature and the beginning of the creation, as He stated Himself, that's right in the Bible. I'm just going to just quote those words and say those words because that's what He said out of His own mouth. Okay, so um, now. The firstborn of every creature, Shaul stated that, but Yeshua stated plainly out of his own mouth that he was the beginning of of all creation in Revelation three verse fourteen. All right, and and also in John chapter um, six, I think it's chapter five here. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, John, this is a very significant scripture, folks. I'm going to read this in the King James, and I'm going to read it in another version. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father. Okay, so Yeshua is saying that only by his Father he lives. So I, I just want you to, to, to understand, what does that mean? Use your brain and think. What does that mean? If he is greater than his Father, or just as great as his Father, why would he say that? As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. I think it's pretty plain what he's saying there, folks. It's pretty plain. And, of course, uh, this is a scripture that I think many people struggle with, but it's pretty plain here in John 14, um, verse 28. You have heard how I have said unto you, I go away and come again. Again unto you, 
If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And then he states here in John chapter 17, these are all scriptures, and I quote these scriptures, and just like many people went away from him because they couldn't understand, it was too hard, so do people stop listening to me or they think I'm crazy. All I do is quote out of the scriptures. In John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is the life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. He didn't put himself in the same category as being the only true God. He said, you, the only true God, and myself. He didn't say myself. He said, thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So he called his own father the only true God. Now, why would he call him the only true God in light of what I just told you? Okay? Uh, now, Yeshua is God, too. You know, he is God, too. But how is he God? How is he Elohim? And that's what we need to understand, and that is what is revealed in the scriptures, folks. And and I've covered this in, in previous broadcasts. So if you want to look at, uh, if you want to listen to uh, Did Yeshua Exist Prior to the First Century, listen to that. Who or what is Elohim? I cover it there. And I talk about this again in other programs, other, other programs uh, in the archives. So you need to study this. This is very important, and I know that. Elohim wants you to understand Yeshua. And I think the most important thing he wants you to understand is that Yeshua is great, but he is in second in command underneath him, God the Father. That's what he wants you to understand. Most people just don't seem to understand that concept. And it is greatly explained in this Bible for those who want to accept the truth. What is the truth? The words of God is the truth, folks. The entire teachings of God, all the scriptures is the truth. And you have to accept all those scriptures, even though it's against what you were taught. And as I mentioned, we have all inherited certain things that are wrong, whether they're physical knowledge or spiritual knowledge, and we have to clean our minds up of those things. And if we're not willing to accept that, then your mind is not going to function properly and you won't be able to think and reason properly. And so, you know, I'm just imploring you to, to do that to find out why did he say that the Father is the only true God. And then in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, the God the Father himself calls Yeshua, for those who falsely accuse me and state that I'm saying that, that Yeshua is not God, well, I would be going against God's words because in Hebrews 1 verse 8 it says, but unto the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So we know the Father is talking to the Son, but unto the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, so Yeshua has a throne, and he's also called God, a scepter of righteousness and a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning, has laid the foundation of the earth and of the heavens and other works of thy hands. Okay, so right there he's called God, but again, how is he God in light of what he said? He stated that his father is the only true God, and that his Father is greater than him, and that only by the Father does he have life. Come on, folks. What, if you're using your brain properly, what can be the uh, the only conclusion? And then, and, and Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, out of his own mouth, he stated in red letters, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. 
That's what he said. And then Paul in Colossians. And many scriptures, many people debate these scriptures, and they don't believe what these scriptures are saying. I, I, it's pretty clear to me what it's saying here. Colossians 1. You can look at Hebrew versions, whatever. It says the same thing, unless they totally just uh, took the true intentions of these scriptures out to deceive you. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? That that's that's who. And see, as I've explained to my people who want to listen, if you are an image of something, you're not the original. You're not the original. So if you're an image of something, you're not the original. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Uh, looks like uh, <laughs> I got cut off the air here, but uh, you still can listen to me, obviously, because of that. I have a one-hour backup. So anyway. That's it. I just wanted to explain that. And for those who have questions about that, I could email you uh, scriptures. But, you know, Yeshua is God. He's an eight Elohim. But he's second in command to God the Father. And based on the scriptures I quoted you, he was the beginning of the creation of God. He was the firstborn of every creature. And he stated in, in John chapter, uh, I think it's John chapter 6, verse 57. John 6, verse 57. John 6, verse 57. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, may Elohim bless and keep you, and God willing, I will be available next week. And I'm going to talk about the Passover, and I hope also to talk about the new moon, the correct understanding of that. You have people going around um, incorrectly, and I know it's incorrect because I've studied it now, and uh, doing things on the full moon. There's, there's some people actually celebrating Passover now or had their Passover meal the other night. And I must speak the truth of the scriptures, and, and I must speak the truth about that and, and preach the correct teachings about that. So anyway, may Elohim bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.